Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello and welcome to this episode. My name is Greg Monteith. Today's episode is the seventh of ten, introducing and explaining the First Steps curriculum. First Steps is the first level of curriculum within the Foundations of Flourishing program. Foundations of Flourishing helps participants acquire the essential skills, dispositions, and knowledge to develop a vibrant interplay between faith and life, understood as the basis for human flourishing, being our best, and living our fullest. Foundations of Flourishing is designed to assist Christians to recognize and overcome the entrenched dysfunction within evangelical Christianity and to assist non-Christians to decipher and evaluate the accessible here-and-now value of Christian faith. Today's episode covers Module 6 of Foundations of Flourishing, Self-Awareness, Experience, and Test Driving. Before examining the material that will be presented in Module 6, I want to highlight several points concerning my view that evangelical Christianity is, broadly speaking, dysfunctional. First, this dysfunction is all the more troubling because evangelicals are broadly unaware that it even exists. As such, both to substantiate my claim and to illuminate this dysfunction for those for whom it is a blind spot, the key step both in the podcast and in the entire integration project, will be to point out where and how evangelical Christianity has adopted, as what I call standards of faithfulness, practices that perpetuate this dysfunction by keeping its participants from seeing it for what it truly is. These are, firstly, practices that skew key relationships, misunderstand and collapse necessary tensions, and preference positives over negatives, both within the Bible and Christian life. And secondly, they are practices that segregate and silo evangelicals from valuable outside resources by eliminating the possibility that non-Christians could possibly have anything valuable to teach Christians about Christianity and about how they live the Christian life. Validating my view that Christianity offers the best possibility to maximize human flourishing and, at the same time, empowering evangelicals to recognize and overcome this dysfunction means that the primary need in this mini-series of 10 podcasts and in general when connecting with evangelical Christians is not to offer solutions to the problem or even strategies for better engaging with God and living the Christian life. Instead, The primary need is to present the problem clearly and explain it thoroughly. To present the problem clearly and explain it thoroughly. For only once a problem is acknowledged can any form of solution be considered, yet alone embraced. For this reason, each episode that introduces the Foundations of Flourishing program will first situate the module material in light of this current evangelical dysfunction, before detailing its use within the module proper. We'll then explain how only material such as this, in other words, material that can effectively identify and address these dysfunctions and no other type of material, will be able to offer Christian participants the resources to conceive of and develop a functional, robust, and mature Christianity, and will offer non-Christian participants the resources to detail evangelical dysfunction and look beyond it to the real value that Christian belief offers. 
Thus, the same material used to identify and overcome evangelical dysfunction also promotes a Christianity that is both satisfying to its adherents and appealing to outsiders. This is because, and once again, it's the skills, dispositions, and knowledge needed to overcome this dysfunction do so by contributing to the development of a vibrant interplay between faith and life. And the result, human flourishing, is visible and appealing to all. Module 6 of First Steps addresses the development of self-awareness in order to become full selves, and thereby for non-Christians to better evaluate the value of Christianity and for Christians to reach maturity in their faith. Yet the notion of self-awareness immediately poses several challenges. First, the term is often used without sufficient definition, making it confusing or vague. I will offer some definition for the term in this podcast upcoming. Second, however, when seen from within the current evangelical dysfunction, self-awareness seems optional at best. In other words, self-awareness is often seen as unimportant by evangelicals because they are taught that the primary and perhaps the only real task is developing what may be called God-awareness. God-awareness, which means understanding who and what God is in order to know how best to be obedient to God and promote God's sovereignty. This God-awareness is achieved through cultivating such things as biblical literacy and reliance on the Holy Spirit. Yet the dysfunctional nature of most evangelicalism means that privileging what I've called God-awareness, again, and that's, that's done by prioritizing the Bible and the Holy Spirit as means of developing obedience and promoting divine sovereignty, privileging God-awareness means that Christians can actually come to view self-awareness as being detrimental. This is because dysfunctional evangelical contexts typically present humans as servants whose role it is to offer obedient service pardon me, and present God as a divine sovereign whose role, role is to govern or exert control over the events and situations of human life. So what is the link between the obedient servant and governing sovereign and cultivating what I've called God-awareness through prioritizing the Bible and the Holy Spirit? Well, the link is that Within dysfunctional evangelical contexts, an exaggerated emphasis on Bible and Spirit tends to promote the idea, tacit if not stated, that one can only be Christian by minimizing oneself and maximizing God, and again, doing this in a certain way, where the role of the Christian is reduced to obedient servant and God's nature is reduced to divine sovereignty. By arranging the relationship in this way, this also allows Christians to preserve the notion of God's full sovereignty and control, while explaining that much, if not all, of what may appear to be circumstances and events that run counter to God's sovereign control are caused by the disobedience of Christians and the sinful rebellion of non-Christians. The result is that the basic idea, the idea that God is not always and everywhere in control, is never questioned. More about this later. The upshot, then, is that within this framework, Christians come to view themselves as mainly, or only, a problem to be overcome, rather than as partners with God in overcoming the real problem, the lack of right relationship with God. The difficulties with this perspective are numerous, are numerous and will become increasingly clear in coming episodes. 
an initial and unsurmountable difficulty is that actually acting on such perspective is simply impossible. I can no more minimize or remove myself from the process of being in relationship with God than I can remove myself from any other relationship or situation that I am in and still remain in it. Even worse, this strategy is actually counter-biblical. It simply is not Christian. More on this point in later episodes. Now, what about the first challenge related to self-awareness? So if self-awareness often suffers from a lack of sufficient definition, what do I mean by self-awareness? Well, insofar as self-awareness involves understanding and duly embracing what and who we are, then a large part of the what of being human is valuing, and so learning how to evaluate and validate our human faculties and senses in the context of living our lives. By faculties, I am referring to such capacities as imagination, intellect, the will, memory, emotional responses, and so on. By senses, I am referring to the capacities of sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. Now, within typical evangelical culture, only two faculties are valued. First, our intellect, because the intellect is necessary for such things as understanding Christian teaching and doctrine and for engaging apologetically to persuade others of the validity of Christian belief. Second, our will, because our will is seen as something that we give over to God in order to become obedient to the teachings and commandments of the Christian scriptures and so to live the Christian life properly. Further, in many evangelical contexts, most emotions are viewed with suspicion or are outright viewed as negative, although not always, particularly so in more charismatic settings where certain emotional engagement or responses are seen quite positively. Yet typically this is the limit. More problematically still, the imagination is typically viewed at best as being unnecessary, if not misleading and outright deceptive. In the same way, within dysfunctional evangelicalism, when our senses lend credibility to or reinforce Christian belief, then they are to be valued. But where they would lead us to be critical of or away from critical Christian belief, then they're not to be not to be trusted and are actually to be disregarded. The effect of dysfunction, however, is not only that evangelicals undervalue human faculties and senses, but that in such dysfunctional contexts, Christians take an extremely narrow and naive view of self-awareness. Again, this is often attributable to the significant overemphasis such communities place on what I have termed God-awareness. So what more is actually involved in the notion of self-awareness? To begin, self-awareness also includes the notion of self-possession, identifying what and particularly who I am and owning myself. This notion of ownership includes the weightier idea of responsibility, such as being accountable for the development, use, and misuse of one's abilities, but also goes beyond that to include the lighter sense of pleasant enjoyment of and even wonder at one's talents and faculties. Ownership reflects the deepest sense of self-involvement and commitment, such that as an owner, I'm not simply reactive to situations that are problematic or incomplete, but I am proactive in the sense that I am always seeking out the best insofar as I can understand it. Another component of self-awareness is the key notion of identity. 
In Module 6, we begin looking at a threefold notion of identity, as derived from 1. The events and situations of our past. 2. The stories or accounts that we believe, create, and recount about those past situations and events. And 3. What we might call our personal narrative that we hold and attempt to live out about who we are as a person, both in relationship to our past and as distinct from it. Again, when viewed from within an evangelical Christian context, the notion of identity is almost always presented as one's, quote, identity in Christ, end quote. In other words, within evangelical contexts, it is as though personal identity is neither necessary nor valuable, given the need to maximize God and to to develop, again, this God awareness. Yet when identity in Christ eclipses or undermines personal identity, then this Christian notion has become dysfunctional. For while elements of character and morality may well be in conflict with the character and morality that Christians are urged to adopt, such as Christ-like character or Christian morality, although I will note that neither term has an obvious meaning and both terms require some definition there, despite that having an accurate sense of one's personality and identity are actually key to becoming a mature Christian and not detractors from becoming a mature Christian. In other words, within a dysfunctional evangelicalism, the notion of identity in Christ is yet another way to diminish and minimize oneself, the Christian as a person, and thereby substitute that unique believing person for a generic object the believer. Yet more than just being a category mistake, and by that I mean seeing personal identity and identity in Christ to be contradictory, rather than mutually enriching and informing, and more than its actual impossibility, and by that I mean the impossibility of developing an honest and robust identity in relation to anyone else without having a keen sense of one's own identity already, or in the process, When identity in Christ implies diminishing and minimizing oneself, then this represents a destructive contradiction of what I see as the Bible's clearest and strongest statement, that humans are beloved of God. In other words, and to be very clear, the biblical text seems completely clear that God loves you and God loves me. God does not love our obedience or our biblical literacy or our reliance on the Holy Spirit. God loves each of us as unique individuals. Further, it is not that we become less ourselves when we are in right relationship with Jesus, when we understand our identity through being in right relationship with God. Quite the opposite. We become most ourselves, or what I refer to as our best selves. So just as different friends or family members will draw out different traits of our personality and prompt different behaviors, so too with God. The difference, however, is that when human beings are in right relationship with God, then it is the best elements of our personalities and behaviors that are drawn to the fore. And this best is not simply in a moral sense or best as seen only by God. It is also best in a manner that I am able to perceive and value as such. In this way, the notion of self-awareness and self-possession represent the responsibility to allow ourselves to be ourselves both in terms of taking responsibility for what we are, what we are able to contribute, and finding enjoyment in our uniqueness and capability. 
further in fostering a sense of ownership, self-awareness also promotes the pursuit of excellence, wanting to do and be our best. Self-awareness does not ignore human finitude, fallibility, and fallenness, but neither does it constrain identity and selfhood to our limitations, errors, or negative aspects. Rather, by understanding both our capability and inability, being self-aware always involves the openness to seek out the opinions and views of informed others, of those whose orientations, insights, and expertise are sufficient to offer us deeper and truer insights into who and what we are, with the result that we can continue to move towards the goal of excellence, but through the mode of interreliance rather than independence, what I would call an interreliant independence. Not only this, but self-awareness can also stimulate the process of integrating our faculties and senses, thereby allowing them to offer both affirmation and critique of our understandings and of our modes of living in the world. So as I've discussed, the role that evangelical dysfunction plays here is to oversimplify matters, and in so doing, to cast into doubt any presentation of self-awareness that is not essentially identical with whatever understanding happens to be prevalent and accepted within a given evangelical context, such as the view that self-awareness means that one's identity is, quote, in Christ, end quote, and nothing more. Further, by artificially limiting the faculties and senses, or at least prioritizing those that Christians deem to be relevant to adopting and maintaining the Christian faith, such Christians are also making a statement about what it means to be human and, or, the type of human beings that Christians can be. Now, this in turn gives some insight into something I've been mentioning frequently through the podcast, my comments about non-Christians perceiving Christians and Christian faith to be irrelevant. Indeed, how could a perspective that claims to extol and maximize life, that, in other words, allows human beings, in the words of John's gospel, to live abundantly, how could such a perspective possibly seem relevant or even sensible? It couldn't. In order to move beyond this evangelical dysfunction, participants of Module 6 of First Steps curriculum will explore the notion of self-awareness and how being a full human being is both necessary to the Christian message and maturity as a Christian and is essential to living life well, being our best selves and aspiring to the satisfaction that comes from achieving a rich interplay between life and faith. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.